Hey, thanks for listening with Sanctuary. We're excited to grow in the knowledge of Jesus with you. Now let's get into the Word. Amen. Amen. His Kingdom Comes is our series. His Kingdom Comes this morning. Maybe a serious topic today, but I titled this message, It Will Be Hell. It Will Be Hell. I remember in 2003 uh, when I saw the uh, footage on the news of the space shuttle Columbia uh, exploding over Texas. How many people remember that? Remember the seven astronauts uh, all lost their lives that day and as that seven-member crew was killed. Uh, and the reason they later discovered was that it had a, a flaw or a damage in what they call the thermal protection system. It's seven layers that they put on this space shuttle because as it enters Earth's atmosphere, it's got to come in at a 40-degree angle. It's coming in at over 7,000 miles per hour. And the heat uh, on that shuttle coming against those astronauts, it says, can get up to 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, I love, I'm a big uh, science person. I've been to NASA and Florida and, and here in uh, Houston, Texas many times. I just love that kind of stuff. I've got a telescope. And so this is kind of interesting to me. I love seeing pieces of the space shuttle and, and walking on it. But when I think about that, what is that, that shuttle mis- uh, mission for? What was it doing? We got to go a few years ago. Uh, my dad and I, for his birthday, I took him to uh, NASA in Houston. And uh, we got to see things at the Mars rover and getting ready to go. And my family and I went before that. We got to go to the original Apollo 13 mission control. You know, Houston, we have a problem. We got to see that. And, and thinking about this mission, there is a mission and a mission control. And there is this vessel. And as these astronauts come back into atmosphere, this vessel is for their protection because it's like hell outside that vessel. Can you imagine 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit? I mean, that's something you don't mess with. And that vessel is made to protect them. And that mission is made, uh, it's, a, it's a mission to advance. It's a mission to go on. And as long as you're in the vessel, you're supposed to be safe. Now think about that for the Christian life. There is a mission And that mission and that vessel is Jesus Christ. That God so loved the world, He sent His Son, gave His Son a kingdom. And as long as you're in the vessel, somebody say amen, you're safe. But if you're outside the vessel, it's going to be hell outside the vessel. It's going to be hell outside the kingdom of God. We have a problem. A little bit bigger a problem than even Houston had. You see, according, I uh, did some research this week, according to Pew Research in 2021, they said that 61% of Americans believe in both heaven and hell, while 26% of Americans no longer believe in heaven or hell. And 7% somewhere believe that maybe something happens after your life. 58% in America say there are multiple religions that can lead you to heaven. 58% of Americans say there's multiple ways to heaven. say that people who do not believe in God can still go to heaven. And today, now one-third of Americans believe in some form of reincarnation. One-third of our country believes you can come back as something else. Barna did a a study a little bit before that, and uh, they said that 64% said they believe they would go to heaven. But only 0.5%, less than 1%, less than one-half of a percent of Americans believe they would go to hell. 0.5% 0.5% of our country believes they're, they're going to go. It doesn't matter. They're going to make heaven. Uh, 95%, I mean, almost 100% of our country believes. 
they're going to go to heaven. 0.5% expect to go to hell. And when asked further, though, 24% really admitted, I have no idea what's going to happen to me after death. Can you imagine the shock that is going to happen in eternity for America today when only 0.5% believe they're, they're going to go to hell or they could possibly go to hell? That almost 100% of our country believes that you can go any way you want, doesn't matter what you do, God's a good guy, and He only sends bad people there. But you know, Scripture says a lot otherwise. You know, in America today, our religious views are a walking contradiction. Americans believe there's multiple options for gaining heaven and avoiding hell. We have a disparate worldview. One study showed that it's all of our irreconcilable beliefs. We begin in America today to paste all these ideas together to suit ourselves. We believe today that God is distant. The purpose of the life is to be happy, fulfill the American dream, and be, uh, feel good about oneself. And more now uh, today than ever, maybe in the history of our country, people are saying, I don't want God, I don't want the Bible, uh, and I don't want church, but I'm going to make heaven. Jesus said, the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. You know, Jesus spoke on judgment and hell more than any person before him. In fact, Jesus was the greatest preacher on hell. One study said it was 13% of his teachings, of his parables, were on hell. Uh, Jesus spoke on hell more than he spoke on heaven. Why did he do that? Because he was on a rescue mission from heaven to save a man from hell. The greatest sign that there is a hell is the cross. If there wasn't a hell, there would be no cross. And the only reason God sent His Son was on a rescue mission to seek and to save that which was lost because He knew it would be hell outside the kingdom. And God is working tirelessly today since the fall. He has been working tirelessly to get every person into the kingdom of God because He knew with His own loving heart, He knew if His Son did not die and for mankind, they would not make it through what's about to come. It's going to be hell outside the kingdom. And that's why his mission must be our motivation. That, has, that phrase has been on my heart for weeks, months now. His mission. He, his mission has got to be your motivation. If I believe that certain judgment is coming to almost 100% of people, 100% of people are going to face judgment, and 0.5% of our country says, I think I'm, uh, I'm, I, I don't, I'm, I don't think I'm, I'm going to be okay. I mean, 99.5% of people believe I'm going to be okay. His mission has got to be our motivation. So look what he said in Matthew 22. I want to talk to you about the invitation. Matthew 22, verse 1, New American Standard says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out slaves to call all those who had been invited to a wedding feast. But they were unwilling to come. And again he sent out another slave, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared a dinner. My oxen and my fat and livestock are all butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. And they went on their way, one to his farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. So the king was enraged. He sent his armies and destroyed the murderers and set their city on fire. 
And he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways. As many as you find there, invite them to the wedding feast. The slaves went out to the streets and gathered all that they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. The king said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him out into outer darkness. In that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. God prepared a wedding for His Son. We call it the marriage supper of the Lamb. God was going to give the kingdom to His Son as a present. And God sent His Son, and he, before He sent His Son to give Him the kingdom, He sent messengers to Israel. Israel had the Word of God, and He sent them prophet after prophet, lastly John the Baptist. But it says the Jews, they were not interested. They were unconcerned. They held to the traditions of men. So the servants moved on. Jesus comes, He dies, He rose, rises from the grave, and God says, the wedding feast is at hand. Now go, tell the world. And they go, the apostles go. They tell the world. The church goes, they tell the world, but people are too busy. People are too caught up with this world's things. And so another group of people, they kill these early church. They kill them and uh, uh, destroy the, the God. They try to destroy the gospel. And so in 70 A.D., God comes and through Rome, he destroys Jerusalem. And then the gospel begins to go. He says, well, they were unconcerned. They were too busy. Now go to the highways and byways. The gospel began to expand and go across the world. To all whosoever will would come in. As it goes... He catches all types of fish, all types of people, brings them into the kingdom. Somebody gets to heaven that day, and he says, how did you get in here? He says, you're not wearing heavenly attire. The man's shocked, finds out he's not wearing what he ought to wear, and Jesus says, they'll all be cast out, and that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me tell you a little bit about hell just for a minute, because it's going to be hell outside the kingdom. J.C. Uh, Ryle said, It's not possible to say too much about Christ, but it is quite possible to say too little about hell. There's no way to describe hell. Uh, nothing on earth compares to it. No horror movie has ever uh, touched the severity of hell. Uh, the wildest Hollywood director in his wildest dreams could never make a movie that would depict the horrors of hell. Jesus called it Gehenna. Gehenna was a place outside of Jerusalem that years ago before in the, early, uh, in the late Old Testament had become a place of idolatry. In the time of Jesus, it had become a dung heap, a trash pile where they would burn their trash outside the city of Jerusalem. And it's in fact where they would throw the criminals' bodies who didn't deserve a, a burial. And it would be this awful burning sewage-filled trash heap. In fact, it's the place near to where uh, Judas would hang himself. It, become a it was known as a place of slaughter. And Jesus says, if you don't want to know what hell is, the best way I can describe to you, it's like that place out there. It's like a burning junkyard where we throw dead criminals' bodies. It's a place of slaughter. He says, in that place there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Every lawless person who will not receive the invitation of this king will go into that place. The Bible describes it as an eternal fire. You see, God is life, but hell is death. God is living water, but hell is eternal fire. This hell, the Bible says, will be a lake of fire in Revelation 20 that's prepared for the devil and his angels. 
It's not the absence of God, but the Bible says it's the fullness of God's wrath because our God, the Bible says in Hebrews, is a consuming fire. It's the fullness of God's wrath. Men will be judged, the Bible says in hell, according to their deeds. They'll have a new resurrected body. And in this place, they'll experience the torment of hell. The Bible says that the smoke of their torment will continue for uh, all of eternity. It will rise forever and forever. They'll have no relief uh, nor day and night. If you remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and the, uh, the rich man who became, was a wicked man cried out to Abraham, and he says, Can you just drop one drop of water on my tongue? That, that alone would give me some sense of relief. And the Bible says there'll be no relief in hell. It'll be an eternal torment. You'll have a new resurrected body specifically designed to handle the torment of hell. I, want you to, I just want you to think about this for a moment. I'm not here to scare you or, or put something in you of fear. I'm here to give you the unadulterated truth of what this is really all about. You and I have family members in hell, or probably today. You have relatives that may be there today. And I know people on their way there now. And this is serious. They'll have no relief, the Bible says, day or night. They'll wish for death, but they'll never die. Next is an instant replay. David Wilkerson called this the worm that does not die. There will be a continual replay of a misspent life. Abraham, in that moment, in that story, the rich man calls out to Abraham and remembers his life. He knows of what he did. You will sit in hell for eternity and replay all the times you should have went to an altar call. You should have bowed your knees and come to, to God. All the Christian music you've heard in your life, every sermon you've ever heard, you will hear it over and over again. You will replay every opportunity God gave you to turn to Him. You will see the kindness of God unmerited over and over again that God has sent His Son for you and you rejected Him. You will play that over and over again in your life for eternity. You'll know how you miss heaven and you'll know your family and friends that are in heaven without you. And you'll see how easy it was to repent and believe. Jesus said, for that reason there'll be weeping and gnashing or grinding of teeth. There'll be no rest in hell. You'll grow tired and weary, but in the pains and the billions and billions of screams in the night, you'll never find rest nor sleep, the Bible says in Revelation 14. Men will weep, they'll cry. The Bible says they'll gnaw their tongues for the tortured bodies and tormented souls. There'll be constant destruction of both the soul and the body, but without death. And then there'll be a darkness. You see, because God is light, hell is darkness. And this is about physical and spiritual darkness. Just think about the moment when in the ten plagues that God brought darkness as one of the ten plagues. It was a physical darkness. They said they could not see their hands in front of their face. See, the fire of hell doesn't have any light. This is a supernatural, eternal fire. That fire will be the endless flame of God's wrath on sin and on Satan. This place is meant for the devil and his angels, but those who don't turn to Jesus go with them. But this is a, 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 something we can't even begin to understand. It's a fire so intensely hot it has no light. Because God is light. In this darkness, you won't see your hand in front of your face. You'll see nothing for all of eternity. It'll be black. There'll be no trees, no sky, no wind, no rain, no grass, no flowers, no bugs. You will just be there alone with your instant replay in utter anguish for all of eternity. There will be darkness ahead of you and darkness behind you, darkness in front of you. It'll be other darkness. And you will replay that, but there will also be a spiritual darkness 
There will be a coldness, no love, no peace, no joy. There will not be one ounce of pleasure, one ounce of gladness. There will not be one smile for you in hell. Spiritual darkness. God is light. In hell there will be no goodness. The Holy Spirit is the only thing keeping earth from turning into hell today. The goodness of God is on this earth. His blessing is on it. His blessing is through His people. And can you imagine a, a world absent of God with every wicked sinner, every Nazi worker, every Hitler, every Mussolini, every uh, Osama bin Laden running a place, given over to their, their sin and their vileness, will be running. The, there'll be no jailers in this jail. There'll be no wardens to keep order. There'll be utter torture. The Bible says that men love the darkness for their deeds were evil. You see, you'll not repent in hell. I believe this. The Bible says that men love the darkness because their deeds were evil and they reject it. You will come to believe the lie of the devil. In hell, men will be so warped by the absence of God. It's the Holy Spirit that leads men to repent and to be convicted. If there's no Holy Spirit there, every person in hell will be given over fully to the devil's lies. Men in hell today are cursing God. Despite of God's grace, despite of God's passion, despite of God's love and His sacrifice, they'll say, why did you send me here? How could you do this to me? You should have told me more. You should have done this. How come that church didn't tell me? How come my mom didn't tell me? They will curse and curse and curse, given over to the darkness. They'll see how they'll turn to the devil's side, corrupted in the darkness of hell for all of eternity, and they'll curse God and hope for death. Jesus said, in that place it will be flung away. You see the devil and the demons and unrepentant men, he says, will drift further and further from the presence of God. It, hell is not a place under the earth. It's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. Hell in the future, this lake of fire, God says he will flung it away. You will forever drift in the outer cosmos, knowing you are getting further and further away from the goodness of God. A continual absence of the presence of God. Heaven will be increasing glory in the knowledge of God. Hell will be increasing torment in the absence of God. Do you think that's serious enough? It was serious enough for God to send His own Son. You see, there's some motivational fears in our life. I'm not one to preach on fear. I don't preach on hell a whole lot. I probably should preach on it more. You see, some people today fear skin cancer, so they wear a hat when they mow. Some people today fear heights, so they don't ride roller coasters. But there's deeper fears that motivate all of us. There's fears that I fear being ugly or out of shape, so I wear a lot of makeup and I work out a lot. That's a fear. There's fears that I have fail, uh, fear of failure, living up to expectations. I fear not having any money, so I work hard to be better and excel in my career because I fear failure. There's fear of being alone, so I hold on tight to all my relationships because I don't want to be alone. That's a fear that motivates people. There's a fear that my kids won't have a great life, and so I spend all my time in the family. There's a fear that my kids won't succeed well in sports or activities, so I push them hard. And that's a fear that motivates you. You see, even churches have fears. We fear changing we can fear losing people. We can fear offending people. We can fear changing our traditions. But what if we feared God? What if we feared failing God or offending God? 
Paul said, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. 2 Corinthians 5.11 We say, Well, Pastor, oh, perfect love casts out fear. Yeah? But not everybody is in the perfect love of God. I don't fear hell as a born-again, saved person. I have the love of God abiding in me. I know that I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, on the inside of me. I don't fear hell, and I don't fear death, but I can fear it for you, and for you, and for them, and for him, and for her, and for my family that it's unsaved. And I can fear it for the lost that yet to believe and know that haven't had an adequate representation of the gospel. I can fear it for them. And Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, I persuade men. Hebrews says it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You see, people are going to hell and they're concerned about their next weekend trip. People are going to hell and churches are more concerned about their music choice, the lighting, having a coffee bar, not offending people in the church who don't have the missional heart of God. I know in this community, I've been here almost 10 years, I know in this community a church that let a pastor go because he wept too much for the lost. In this community. I know churches who've let pastors go because they wanted to be in mission with other churches more. What if we feared God more than we feared man? What if we feared God more than all these other motivations to do things, to, to uh, order our life? We are all motivated by some sort of fear, but the fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is wisdom. To know there is judgment coming for those who are not in the vessel. It will be hell outside the kingdom. And his mission has got, listen to me, his mission has got to be our motivation. If we are here to have a country club, we should shut the doors and go home. If we're here to focus on my preference or your preference, we should shut the doors and go home. His mission is to seek and save that which is lost. Hell was so important to God that he sent his only son to die on your cross and my cross and die your death and my death and bear your sin and my sin that you and I might live with him. Who will be in hell? Jesus gives us three types of people. Really quick. Number one is the unconcerned. They'll be the unconcerned. He says there was those who didn't listen because they were not concerned. This is the religious. This is those, Jesus said of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were holding to the traditions of men, neglecting the weightier things of the law. They were missing the point. They were so focused on what men had made God's word to be that they neglected God's word altogether. They missed the point. They missed the heart of God through all their preferences, their dead religion. They had no living faith. The Bible says that this people draw near to me with their words and honor me with their lip service. They remove their hearts, though, from me. And their reverence consists of just tradition learned by rote. You see, today in America, there's an unconcerned church. There's a church that does not see the importance of God's mission. They're indifferent, complacent, apathetic, the Bible says it's ignoring the Spirit of Israel resisted the Holy Spirit in their day, and they missed Jesus. Jesus came with weeping. He says, I wish you would know the hour of your visitation. I, like a mother hen, long to embrace you and put you under my wings. And Jesus wept 
over people. I'm looking for a church that weeps over the lost, that is broken for a lost and dying world, that just knows we have got to partner with God to fulfill this great messianic mission. The last thing that Jesus said was, go make disciples, preach the gospel, go into the highways and byways, beckon them to come in, stand at that gate and say, don't go this way. There's another way. Where is the brokenness for the heartbeat of God? There's an unconcerned church. Number two is there's the too busy. You know, if you were to get an invitation to a royal ball, how many people would say, yeah, I'm coming, right? Like if, if the queen or the king, if you lived in uh, England today, and they said, here's a special invitation, how many people would take that offer, man? That's a, it's an exclusive place. And how many would be too busy to say, I don't think I'm going to make the next uh, royal wedding? Man, if somebody was going to give you that invitation for free, we'd make it. I don't care what was going on. It might be my mama's birthday. Hey, the queen invited me, you know. I'm, I got a chance to sit at the table, you know, with the prince and the king and the palace. But Jesus said they didn't see and understand. The king of kings and the lord of lords has given you the most gracious invitation to a court in heaven, to a banquet prepared for you. In the presence of Almighty God, in the seating of saints, He has a place prepared for you. Your nameplate's on it. And He says, come. Yet the world says, but I'm too busy. He says, one says, I got a house to build. Another says, I got a business to run. Another says, I got to go do stuff with my family this weekend. I'm too busy building the life that I'm comfortable with here to answer that invitation. I'm too busy. I've got a wife, I've got, please consider me excused, I've just bought some things, I've got to try them out this weekend. I love my life, I love my schedule, I love my possessions, I love my pleasures, I love my sin. I'm not really ready yet to leave the life I've built to go to your heavenly party. We've got ball practice this weekend, I've got to put some extra hours in at the office, we're going to go on a trip after that. Yeah, I can't really give right now because I'm devoting so much to retirement this year in this economy. You just have no clue how busy it is and how expensive it is for us right now. We're just too busy in this season of life to go to church. Jesus, I think with tears in his eyes, in Luke 6 says, verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. And woe to you who are well fed now, for you will be hungry. How much time will we have in hell to think about our busy schedules on the earth? <clears throat> How much time in hell will you get to think about all the earthly pleasures you pursued? You have plenty of time to think about it in eternity. He says, you're rich here in this life. This is as much as comfort you'll ever receive. This is the most wealth you'll ever have. This is the most joy you'll ever experience if you reject this gracious offer. He died for that place at that table. The third person, he says, is an unchanged person. Can you imagine the dress at a royal wedding? 
Uh, if you watch the news and you've seen the last one that we had and all these inaugural balls, it's not a black tie affair. It's something very special. These guys are crazy uh, dresses and suits on. The king gives this great invitation. He goes out and he finds beggars in the street, humble people, broken people, people who ain't got it all together, people who don't even deserve to have a seat at the table, lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors, people who are drug addicts and people who stole their mama's jewelry and pawned it off for the latest fad and the, the latest trick. He finds the ill repute and says, Come, I've made enough space. Can you imagine there in that big, huge banquet hall, all these people, as they walk in the door of this banquet, instead of checking your coat at the entrance and they announce your name, you receive a coat at the entrance and then they announce your name. He's provided the wedding attire. And they go there, and can you imagine all these people, smelly, stinky, they don't look the part, but they're all sitting there with their fine china, and they've got all this beautiful robe and, and flowing gowns and suits, and they have it on on top of all this messed up clothes. They ain't got all their teeth, their hair is crazy, but they've got a clothes on. And they're sitting there, and there's Moses and Elijah and uh, 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 all the saints of God, Miriam. There's John the Baptist over there, and there's Apostle Pauls and Peter. And there they are in the middle of all these people with this robe on. And they look to the guy to the next, and he looks like he's always looked. And security comes by, and they say, sir, how did you get in here? And immediately they call a code 14, they get him, they throw him out into weeping and gnashing of teeth in the outer darkness. You see, the invitation is, come as you are, but you have to put on something first. Come as you are. Come as you are. All who are thirsty, come. I've got a place for you. All who are hungry, come. Come. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Come to anyone who will drink from the waters of living life, of life. Come and, and taste and see the Lord is good. Come. That's the invitation. But when you walk in the door, there's something you've got to put on. You see, a lot of people think, I'm going to wait to heaven to be perfect. I'm going to wait. When I die, I'll be the person I'm supposed to be. I don't have to do that kind of stuff. Now God knows I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. He's just going to be letting me in. But the apostle Paul begged a different. Here's what he said. Romans 13, verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. You see, you've got to be clothed in Christ to make it to heaven. You've got to put on Christ. You've got to put on holiness. You've got to put on the mind of Christ. You've got to change. You've got to be changed. He didn't have the right clothes. He hadn't changed. But in the spiritual sense, you have to change. You have to have a new identity. You have to have a new character. You, you don't have to be perfect. He became perfection for you. And purchased you a robe of righteousness. But you've got to put that righteousness on. You've got to be found hidden in Christ. Abiding in, with Christ. Going to that secret place with Christ. You've got to be changed. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 5. That the works of the flesh are evident. And those things we know what they are. They don't lead to that. Anyone who does these things are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But there is no law against certain things. There's no religious way to get these things on. And that is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness or meekness and self-control. There's no law for those things, but you have got to be full of the Holy Spirit. 
You've got to be born again, alive in Christ. You've got to be resurrected from the dead. You've got to change, church. You've got to change. Jesus said he's looking for a holy and spotless bride, prepared and waiting for him. Those who will be shocked and have this man was totally, if you read the story, he was totally shocked. He was speechless. Jesus said in Matthew 24, there'll be some up there who'll get there and say, but Lord, Lord, we did all these things. And he says, but I, I don't know you. I don't know you. We didn't have a relationship. Sure, you went to church. Sure, you did some good stuff. You might have even casted demons out in my name. But my name works. But I don't know you. Have you changed? Have you changed? You see, there's a hell because God is holy and just, and he will not let evil go unpunished. And nor is he apathetic against sin. And there's a hell because God is not a liar, and he was winning, willing to send his son. And this gracious king is sending us an invitation that whosoever will come. Two things, and let's pray. Number one is, come. There's hope from hell. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You've got to turn from your sin, turn from your own life, and turn to Jesus. You've got to put on Christ. You've got to get rid of the excuses, get broken for God, and come. It's easier than you could ever imagine. Just come. The secondly is, go. If you notice in the story... There were sets of people he called servants, and he says, I'm asking my servants to go and tell them. Go tell them. See, it's come, but it's also go. Go tell them of this good news. Go tell them, get on this mission. Get in this vessel. Find, it's like Noah in the ark. Get in the boat. Judgment is coming, but there is salvation for everyone in the vessel. And that vessel is Christ. He says, servants, go. And I'm asking myself in our church sanctuary, sanctuary, are we willing to go? Reach the gospel, reach the, the loss with the gospel. Are we willing to go and be obedient to our king? Is his mission our motivation? We have a responsibility to tell the truth and tell them of God's gracious invitation. And it says, Come. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? Jesus, we ask you to take this next moment. Lord, with sobriety, with brokenness, with sincerity, God, we want to examine our hearts today. Every person in this room, every person listening online, Lord, to examine your word as truth, that you thought hell serious enough, Father, to send your son Jesus Christ on a rescue mission because you knew it would be hell outside the kingdom. And the invitation is there, and it says come. It says come. If you're here today, in a moment, we're going to open these altars, and you need to find a place to pray. Someone will pray with you. You need, you need to be certain and make it right with the Lord. Maybe you haven't had that change. That change hasn't happened in your life, or maybe it, it happened years ago, but you need to rekindle that relationship with God.